Chapter One of the Yellow Sheet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Yellow Sheet, the LibriVox NanoRimo Project, two thousand seven. Chapter One, written, read, and recorded by Alan Drake. Elizabeth McKenna remains the sole guardian of both the enigmatic yellow sheets and the delicate blue tulip. They were secreted on a lower shelf in her walk-in pantry long after the collapse of the national elections, long after El Nino inexplicably reversed its northern flow to turn stubbornly southward, long after her husband packed off to climb the Himalayas with empty excuses looking to find himself, long after he was caught selling her precious passport to traffickers on the Tibetan plains, long after he escaped kayaking down the Brahmaputra with a nameless thirty-year-old schoolteacher, long after Liz's lonely, sleepless nights were replaced by stargazing on the bluff behind her Montana home, long after the city's first August frost crept through her gardens, and left her with an urgent forgetfulness, long after hopelessness lingered comfortably in the garden's shadows, among the flowers and trees, and, yes, settling over the misaligned sundial lifted by her great-grandfather from its moorings in Rasputin's open-air chapel during the St. Petersburg campaign. Long after any of this, she arose in the morning of November the 1st, 2007, from her bed, with the limp but incessant thought to leave it all behind, plans and memories, hopes and fears, yes, even her confusions, her uncertainties, and turn herself outward beyond the observatory, to willfully open her whole being to uncertainty, fearlessness, all without hesitation, without a single thought. As she looked again towards the observatory, she wasn't expecting the dormant words of Goethe to seize her so violently. Just for once have the courage to surrender yourself to impressions, to allow yourself to be moved, to be uplifted, yes, to be instructed and kindled by something great. The thought took hold and grew, assuming a life of its own. Impulsively, absent-mindedly, she reached into the dark pantry, playing her strong, small hand through the air like a blind conductor, until her rancher's fingers, with their close-clipped nails, closed upon a tan duffel-bag. How long had it been since it was last used? It was comforting to feel it against her palm. She hugged it to her, it held no memories. It was as empty as her mind. In less than a minute she was out of the double front doors. Their shiny oak finish flashed in the rising sun as they closed. They released an imperceptible tap of oak against the rubber-sealed doorstop, and they settled into immobility, remaining unlocked, for she left without keys, without money, without food, without wallet, 
without her stolen passport, without anything that might identify her, with nothing but the clothes she wore, and the tan duffel-bag containing the yellow sheets and the blue tulip. Why would there be anything to concern her? She refused to entertain the thought. She had what she needed, and she needed nothing more. She would forestall all sense of worry until the circumstances required her to think otherwise. Meanwhile, she followed the well-worn trail before her. She would focus on the sound of her merrill trail shoes as they scraped the earth. If she anticipated anything, it would be the simple, natural calls of morning birds, one foot before the other. Time existed only in the moment. What she had to do now was disappear, melt into the landscape. Why? She heard the question sneaking among echoes coming from the arroyo before her, growing louder as she quickened her pace. The echoing sounds of why were not her concern. They were but shoes on the dry Montana gravel, empty questions coming out of the broad, big sky brightening before her. Questions were for politicians and militarists, the slothful, deaf wordsmiths that got her where she was today, the party-goers like her husband, like her father, her grandfather, and great-grandfather like her neighbors and office-mates, they the captives. Concentrate on the gravel sounds. Listen for birds. She, on the other hand, had a purpose. Life was suddenly simple. She shifted the duffel-bag to her other shoulder. The steady walk lulled her. It was then she made the first in a series of small errors, because she let her mind wander and in that wandering she missed the shadowy images of the two women sleeping behind the massive rolls of hay in the adjoining field. The scraping of her shoes woke them. They remained immobile, but followed her with their eyes. Liz climbed the familiar trail towards the top of the plateau. She was on foot now, not riding this trail on Teresius, her faultless gelding companion. Teresius could see out to the far horizon. Nothing escaped him. Up there on the plateau, the horizon reached towards you while it stretched away, far out towards the curved horizon, as if to encompass the whole earth. She tried to see with his eyes, but the distance was a faint blur. Another mistake. Should she return for her glasses? No, she thought. She would make do. After today, looking into the distance would not be a concern. Once Liz reached the summit, the two feminine figures followed in pursuit. As they too reached the summit, carefully concealing themselves from Liz's occasional scans of the horizon, they passed a third figure watching from behind a clump of weathered rock. The silent, burly man smiled. The small triangular patch on the brim of his hat bore the black-letter initials N.Y.S. He remained motionless except to pull from his inside jacket pocket a pair of small binoculars. At the place between the two optical barrels, where a focusing ring would normally be found, 
a short antenna poked skyward. Whatever he saw was seen by others as well. Liz continued her northern trek. Within an hour the sun was beginning to climb the sky with a boldness she did not anticipate, and the wind began blowing in her face. She slipped on her wraparound sunglasses. While the brightness permitted her a better vision of the surrounding landscape, she was reminded that the sun could also be unforgiving. Still, she was in her stride. Although she had neither horse nor prescription glasses, nothing between here and her destination would escape her keen observation, her dogged perseverance. Morning hunger crept upon her. She paused from her walking to wonder at the wisdom of leaving her house with nothing but the duffel bag. No, it was all right. It would be less than an hour before she reached Bootswell's Hole. The even pace of her walk, here under the wide blue dome that was her haven, her comfort, her home, helped her to relax. It encouraged the flow of her inner dialogue once more. She was, once again, in the safety of the expansive morning light. Nothing out here could harm her, not even her impulsive, disassociated lizard-like thoughts. The great shorthorn lizard, the milk snake, the northern alligator lizard, the sagebrush lizard, the smooth green snake, the snapping turtle, the spiny soft shell, the western hog-nosed snake, the skink, the Cour salamander, the Great Plains toad, the Idaho giant salamander, the northern leopard frog, the Plains spadefoot, the western toad, the... All my friends, all going, each a representative, each in danger of leaving the earth, joining the stones and the pebbles, the ever-present flattening earth, in another hundred million years all this would be flat, she thought. Montana has insisted on this since time immemorial. Her thoughts were pushed aside by the sound of a low rumbling wind. Could the earth itself be trembling? It reminded her of something her drunken brother-in-law said at last week's fundraiser. How inappropriate Chuck could be. He was going on with his predictable, improbable tales, the lives of the pioneers, his ancestors. But suddenly he made an unexpected switch. He launched into a string of horrid stories. Atomic testing in the southwest. Whole towns came out to view them. There were family gatherings, Fourth of July fireworks. Hundreds of families watched from downwind as the rough clouds billowed towards them, dropping blankets of radioactive dust on mothers and fathers, children and grandparents. Innocently, spectators brushed the dust off with their bare hands, as casually as they would beach sand. But this was Montana. Nothing like that had ever come to Montana, or would. Liz had a goal, and nothing was going to stop her from achieving it. She picked up her pace, once again walking directly into the wind. Behind her the sharp sound of gravel being kicked caused her to swivel around quickly. No, nothing was going to stand in her way, 
certainly not the two women standing stock still on the trail a few hundred feet behind her no nothing would stop her not even the mushroom cloud blossoming on the horizon upwind from her behind the two women who were now running towards her end of chapter one of the yellow sheet